Good morning. Good morning, everyone. We'd like to welcome you to church as we come together as God's people. Please stand and join us as we begin our service of worship by singing his praises together. Sing, 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 and make music with the heavens we will sing.
today all is yours and we give you thanks and praise for who you are and all that you've done for the privilege of gathering today to worship you we know that you are with us our prayer is that we would be sensitive to your spirit and open to you so that you could work in our lives 
pray that our worship would honor you. And we ask this through Jesus. Amen. It's great to see all of you as we gather for worship today. Take a moment, share a word of greeting, welcome, peace with others who are here today. We do want to welcome all of you to worship today, and uh, we want to welcome those of you who may be here uh, still from uh, the uh, Academy commencement this weekend. I know it was a great event. We also want to welcome the Genesee Rapids baseball team. Great to see you guys, and uh, looking forward to uh, a good season for you. And want to pray for you today, even uh, as uh, you uh, start your season. Tonight at 5 o'clock, we are gathering in the community room to uh, honor, celebrate Pastor John's accomplishment of finishing his master's degree. And uh, it's just a great time of celebration. We'll have some cake and ice cream, and uh, we hope you'll join us. Uh, 5 o'clock in the community room. Uh, it's a come-and-go event, and uh, we would love to see you there. And I know that uh, we'll give you an opportunity to express your congratulations to Pastor John. There are uh, other things uh, in the bulletin related to the life of the church, things happening in the world. We certainly are certain things for us to uh, pray about, things that are connected to us right here, as well as events and circumstances around the world that we will remember in our prayers in a little bit, and also as uh, we pray throughout this week and in the days to come. We uh, have been so blessed. God is so good to us, and we have an opportunity now to give back to God out of the ways in which he's blessed us as the ushers come to assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings. Sin and dark. 
Spend a few moments praying together. If you would like to use the altar rail as your place of prayer, please come and join me. Otherwise, please be seated. Father, we thank you for all you've done for us in Christ. We pray that you will open our eyes to the gift of your Son, who has come into this world in human flesh, who has gone to the cross for our sins, who has risen to new life in conquering death, has ascended to be with you and has promised to come back for us. We thank you for all that you've done for us in Christ. Father, we pray for our world filled with so much pain and heartache, with death and destruction, with insecurity and fear. Father, we bring before you all of the concerns of our own lives today and those who are close to us. We pray your mercy and grace, your healing power upon Bev Rett and Edna Howard, for Linda Roth and Micah Christensen, for Bill Roski and Crystal Blake, for Emily Cricklar, and for others for whom we pray today. Father, we pray your comforting presence upon all who are grieving this day, And ask for your mercy and your healing in each heart. Father, we pray that you will open our eyes to your work among us, in us, and through us. 
Father, we pray not only for ourselves, but for this world in which we live. We think of the ongoing problems in so many places of the world, including this country. Father, we forget because we are pretty insulated from war. But it is a continual problem for so many. We pray that your spirit would bring peace. We pray, Father, that where there is poverty and hunger, drought and famine, we ask, Father, that you would release your spirit. We pray that you will bring rain where it is needed and the sun where it is needed. We pray that that you will bring food and drink and shelter and protection. And Father, we pray that you will stir our hearts to be agents you can use in this world of great need. Lord, we think especially of our brothers and sisters around the world who face severe persecution for their faith in you. We pray today for for your witness in Gorea, northern Cameroon. Father, this place where the church is virtually non-existent because of the oppression of the evil one. Father, it is not too much for you to raise up your church and your people. We pray that you will do a miraculous work in this place of great need. And for those who are following you, protect them. Give them courage and strength in the midst of severe opposition. Lord, we think of the ministry of your church in reaching out to places right among us. We pray today for the members of the Genesee Rapids. We thank you for the sacrifices they've made to be a part of this team. And we ask, Father, that as you work in them and through them, that you will, you will unite them as, as a team, as followers of you. And we pray that you will give them the ability to bear witness of who you are in their lives as they play games, as they interact with other teams, as they interact with each other. We ask, Father, that this will be a great summer of spiritual growth and of witness. And we pray, Father, for you to do the miraculous that you alone can do in them and through them in every moment of this summer. Father, we pray for your grace in our lives. We thank you for your many blessings. Lord, we pray that you will open our eyes to you at work in us and among us and through us. More than anything, stir our hearts to worship you through the power of your spirit in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray remembering the prayer that he taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Following the scripture reading, children may be dismissed at Children's Church and Junior Church. This is Amos 7, 1 through 9. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested, and just as the second crop was coming up. When they had stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen, said the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. The Sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. It dried up the great deep and devoured the land. Then I cried out, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen either, the Sovereign Lord said. This is what the Lord showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, What do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, Look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed, and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. Please stand and join us as we sing together.
may be seated. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Like many of you, I grew up with hand-me-downs, clothes, toys, furniture. With the furniture, my mom would often invest weeks and months into turning an old, sometimes beat-up dining room table or bedroom set into something that looked new and beautiful. Part of the fun, well, at least for those of us that weren't doing the actual refinishing work, was trying to imagine what kind of wood was beneath the layers of paint or dark stain. So about 20 years ago, when someone gave us an old record cabinet, the kind that holds vinyl record albums, we were excited to show our sons the refinishing process. We talked with them about what kind of wood might be under the layers of paint. Would it be oak, maple, walnut? Once we stripped away that final layer of paint, the boys asked, So what kind of wood is it? You can imagine our surprise and disappointment upon discovering that the top of the cabinet was not oak, maple, or walnut. It was plywood. (laughs) On the outside, the record cabinet looked great, but beneath all the layers of paint, it was just a piece of plywood. Isn't it interesting How often our lives look very different on the outside compared to what they really are on the inside. When we think about this difference, does it ever make us feel disappointed, ashamed, concerned? Perhaps we're so accustomed to it that we don't even think about it all that often. Maybe we've simply resigned ourselves to this is how it is, hoping that it just doesn't matter all that much. When we read the book of Amos, we get a sense of this inside-outside dilemma in the nation of Israel. And what we find is that it's a far more serious issue than they and maybe we realize. Israel 755 BC, times are good. Israel is enjoying prosperity, a solid economy, expanding their boundaries, a stable government, and a strong military presence. As a nation, they feel optimistic, secure, and content as they are enjoying God's blessings to them as his covenant chosen people. Into this picture steps Amos. God calls Amos from his current profession of farmer and herdsman to be his prophetic spokesman. Initially, Israel affirms Amos' prophecy because he addresses the sins of her neighbors. Until the mood changes as Amos zeroes in on Israel and her sins. 
Israel is cheating the poor by using dishonest scales, taking advantage of the vulnerable, mistreating widows and orphans, while their judges are corrupting justice, all so that they may live lavish and excessive lives of ease, wealth, and power. Amos's popularity continues to plummet as he describes God as a roaring lion about to pounce on his chosen people, Israel. He declares God's warnings and issues a last call to repentance because judgment is coming soon. Amos's message to the Israelites is clear repent or perish. In way of warning his people about the impending judgment, God gives Amos some visions of what will happen to Israel if she doesn't repent. The first vision is the threat of locusts. The second vision is the threat of fire. The third vision is God standing next to a perpendicular wall holding a a plumb line in his hand. A plumb line is a string with a weight fastened to the bottom of it. When the string is placed beside a wall and the weight is allowed to hang freely, it's apparent whether the wall is perfectly vertical or not. If the wall is not perfectly vertical, it will eventually collapse. In this vision, The plumb line symbolizes God's holy standards of righteousness and justice that are inherent in his covenant with Israel. The wall symbolizes Israel, God's chosen people. As Amos looks at the plumb line, God asks him a seemingly innocuous question. Amos, what do you see? In other words, you have eyes, you have a mind, you've been nurtured in the religious tradition and the faith of Israel. How do things look to you? Amos sees the plumb line straight and true, and he sees the wall against the plumb line that is tilted beyond repair. Amos knows that Israel is out of plumb violating the very standards of holiness with their corrupt and sinful lives. In previous visions, Amos asked God to relent, but not this time, because Amos' eyes are fully open to see what God sees, that Israel is such a mess that collapse is inevitable. It's sad to see how the priorities of God's chosen people have drifted so far from his priorities. C.S. Lewis once said, We think that we are finding our place in the world, when in reality, the world is finding its place in us. The world finds its place in us subtly or not so subtly as we embrace the beliefs and values of our culture. We believe that God exists to serve us, that he will overlook our sin and protect us because we are his chosen people. 
We focus on the privileges of being God's chosen people rather than the responsibilities that come with these privileges. We lose our spiritual integrity as God's holy people as we misrepresent him by our lifestyles, choices, value systems, and the way we treat one another. Instead of our lives revealing the unique character of the one true God, we simply blend in with everyone else around us. Ultimately, God's question, what do you see, has to do with the condition of our hearts, and specifically with a condition that scripture calls the divided heart. Scripture defines the heart as the center of our being. It includes our mind, will, and emotions. Scripture tells us that, an und- that a divided heart is an unhappy heart. We see this when David prays in Psalm 86:11, Give me an undivided heart, O God, that I may fear your name. Someone has said that they suspect this is one of the most significant prayers to be found anywhere in the word of God because David knew the pain, the tragedy of a divided heart, a heart torn by rival affections. A divided heart is where we want God, but we also want control. We want to hold on to certain areas of our lives. A destructive habit, a relationship that's pulling us in a negative direction, a resentment or grudge, some possession we hold dear, our future, or even a spiritual gift. In Matthew 6.24, Jesus tells us, No one can serve two masters, for either they will hate one and love the other, or they will be loyal to the one and despise the other. One day, while a grandfather was talking with his grandson, he told him, There are two wolves living in my heart, and they're at war with one another. One is vicious and cruel. The other is wise and kind. The concerned grandson blurted out, Grandpa, which one will win? The grandfather paused before answering, The one I feed. A divided heart not only reveals our apathy toward God, but our apathy toward people in need. Because of our unwillingness to sometimes sacrifice even a little to help others, we have convinced ourselves that words are enough. Of course, we abhor human trafficking, world hunger, grinding poverty, greedy dictators, drug trafficking. But do we care enough to do something about even one? I mean... Isn't liking something on Facebook enough? We know we can't do everything, 
but a heart united in God feels a sense of passion to do something. One of God's primary accusations against Israel is the war raging within her divided heart over the apathy of injustice. Sooner or later, a divided heart leads us to ask the question, is my goal to be happy or holy? Do I want to do what I think makes me happy by living to please myself? Or do I want to be holy by living to please God? The problem of choosing happiness over holiness is that instead of the outcome we hope for, we are left with disappointment, emptiness, and distance from God, the real source of joy love, peace, freedom, and blessing in our lives. Living with a divided heart also leads us to distrust God. We don't see him as our loving Heavenly Father who is just and merciful. We begin to believe that his warnings and discipline aren't motivated from a heart of love. When our son Andrew was about four years old, he had his first bicycle with training wheels. I do have Andrew's permission to tell this story. (laughs) Andrew loved his bicycle, and he loved riding it. He would spend hours riding around the church parking lot that was connected to the Parsonage driveway where we lived. But over time, he wanted to explore new territory. One of his requests was to ride his bike to pick up his older brother, John, at grade school. So one warm spring day, that's what we decided to do. Because Andrew struggled with following the instructions about stopping and looking before crossing the street, I went over the rules with him, telling him that if he failed to obey them, he would not get to ride his bike to the school. Things started out well. That is, until we got to the end of the church parking lot. (laughs) I could see cars coming from both directions on the busy street, and I could see that Andrew wasn't stopping. As I yelled out his name, telling him to stop, I grabbed hold of that bike with such a force that I about scared him half to death and knocked him over in the process. I think you can imagine what a happy moment that was (laughs) when I told Andrew to get off his bike because we would drive to pick up John. Andrew was angry, disappointed, and still crying when John climbed into the car at the school. Andrew probably thought I was the worst mother in the world, that I didn't love him or want him to have any fun. But it was because of love that I protected him as he probably would have been hit 
by one of those cars. Because of our sinfulness, we struggle to see the warnings God gives us and the ways in which he disciplines us are because of his love and grace at work for our good. Our sinfulness, our divided hearts, cause us to forget that we are God's chosen, holy people, leading us to a distorted view of God and of reality. Perhaps this is why Jesus says in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Several weeks ago, when talking with a young girl at church, I asked her how her school year was going. She said that she liked school, but what she was really looking forward to was summer and returning to camp. She shared how wonderful camp was last year, how she stayed in a hotel that had a room full of bunk beds. And as if that wasn't enough, She then told me how every day they got to eat all three meals in a restaurant. This restaurant even had two flavors of potato chips. It was such an incredible experience that she can hardly wait to go to camp again this summer. I loved seeing camp through her eyes. Partly because I never viewed camp in quite that way. (laughs) But more than that, I loved what it revealed about her and her outlook on life. God's question, what do you see, reveals who we truly are, our inner heart condition It also reveals that God cares deeply about what we see, because if our eyes aren't open to him, seeing things the way he does, we'll waste our lives on that which is meaningless and destructive. Amos says that restoration is possible if we'll seek God and live. To seek God and live means that we'll acknowledge and repent of our sin. But to seek God and live comes with a cost. The cost of letting go of certain behaviors, grudges, habits, agendas, desires, the very control of our lives. To seek God and live requires an attitude of dependence upon God and loving him with all our hearts. Sadly, the Israelites chose to ignore God's warnings and his messenger Amos, leading to their eventual captivity and destruction by the Assyrians. Yet even in the midst of his judgment, God again offers his love, hope, and grace as he promises that he will bring restoration to a remnant of his people, that he will repair their brokenness and restore their ruins. God through scripture 
makes this same promise to us again and again. He tells us that he will restore us. But God's first desire is not to restore our ruins. His first desire is to save us from the grip of sin that leads to our brokenness and ruins. God's first desire is that we will completely surrender our hearts to him so that he has the freedom to build a perfectly vertical wall in us now. Years ago, a famous preacher was led into a deeper experience with God through a conversation with an old friend who simply asked him, Have you committed everything to God? And quickly, he says, too quickly, he answered, Of course I have. His friend replied, Have you given over every key of your life to God? Yes, he replied, every key. But that night, he couldn't sleep. As he tossed and turned in his bed, two words kept running through his mind. Every key, every key, every key. Finally, he said, what is it, God? Don't you have the key to every door of every closet of every room of my life? Toward morning, God opened the man's eyes to see one specific key, the power of his preaching. He realized that he had never fully given that to God. He said, but God, this is a gift and calling that are from you. You want me to use it, right? God responded, I do, but I still need you to give me the key, every key, including this key. And as he gave God that key, the control of that gift, he experienced a transformation that completely changed his life and his ministry. When God asks us, what do you see? What is our answer? Do we see people, circumstances, ourselves, the way God does? Or is our vision distorted due to a divided heart? Might God be prompting us about a key in our life that we've not fully given to him. If so, may we give him that key today so that we might experience his joy, love, peace, freedom, and blessing in our lives. Father, We thank you for your word, for how it speaks to our lives 
We pray that you will unite our heart as we give you every key in our lives. This we pray in your name. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing. Take all I am, Lord, and all that I cling to. You are my Savior. I owe everything to. Take all the treasures that lie in my storehouse. They cannot follow when I enter your house. So Surrender. 
receive the benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.